0: Welcome back to Open Court with Fairfield basketball coach Chris Casey. This is your podcast destination for Fairfield Hoops. Along with the coach, I'm Bob Heisler, joined by my broadcast partner, the Fairfield Hall of Famer Joe DeSantis, and our special guest today is Stags guard Bryson Goodheim. The Stags ran their winning streak to eight games, longest Fairfield winning streak in 13 years, and then got tripped up Friday night at Niagara didn't take long for the stags to correct course they followed up the niagara loss with a resounding victory at canisius 88 63 and so chris let's start with that niagara game which was clearly not the fairfield team that had reeled off eight straight wins so what was your message to the team after that game because quite clearly they responded to that message
1: yeah i think um more than the the message they responded because of their, their, uh, their character. Um, you know, we know we, we didn't, I didn't have to tell anybody in the locker room that we didn't play as well as we could have played, particularly on a defensive end. Now, part of that, when you look at the film and we all watched it, um, as a group, they made credit to them. They made some really, really tough, tough shots in that game and got it rolling. Um, and then some of it on our end is we didn't do some of the things that we needed to do defensively uh, to keep that game in a neighborhood where we could, we could possibly win it. Um, so I don't, I don't know that there was really a big message other than, hey, you know, did, we did not play well today. And there were things that we didn't do that we needed to do to win. The road is tough, especially in this conference. Um, but the great thing is you're playing another day, which ended up being two days yep. um, because of the weather. Uh, And and I really, I was impressed with the win on Monday, on yesterday's, uh, in yesterday's game. But I was was even more impressed with the character of our group. They were so locked in. They were so focused and so determined uh, after that Niagara game to right uh, the wrong of that game. And uh, it was just impressive to watch. And and that had nothing to do with a speech in the locker room. It's the character of, of the guys that we have.
0: And we'll talk more about that Canisius uh, game in just a moment. I wanted to follow up on the Niagara game with Bryson and ask you, Bryson, how much incentive did that Niagara loss give you personally and, and the team collectively? Uh, because, again, as I mentioned to Coach KC, you guys responded in a big way.
2: Yeah, well, uh, we knew it would be a quick turnaround before the next game. And um, basically, the night after that game, I was just thinking back, like, the game just didn't feel like us. Like we On the court, it felt like we weren't really playing together. There was like some disconnect. So, after the game, I was really just thinking about it. I was kind of upset because I'm like, we're too good to not play together. And then, so I texted the team, like, gotta hit the reset button. Let's have a good practice tomorrow. Work on us. So I was like, I believe in every single one of you guys. Because um, we can't really be so good. We have such good pieces on this team. So,
3: yeah. Think- um. Bryson, without you uh, giving them any uh, chalkboard uh, information or whatever that – what's that – what am I trying to say? Message board, uh, chalkboard information. Anything that's going to rile Niagara up in your next game. I watched the game. Was it a little
0: chippy? Were they like – were they Were they talking a little
2: – No, actually, no. No, okay. I, they just played really well. They shot the ball well. Have to give them credit for that. You okay. Did,
0: you did tell us something there when you mentioned uh, how you texted the team after uh, that game. Uh, that obviously reveals you as uh, being one of the uh, the leaders, one of the co-captains on
2: this team. Is that something you do regularly after games, win or lose? Well, I also have also been thinking that we have a ton of leaders on this team, captain or not. So, like, there's just times I've been held accountable. Like yesterday, I was kind of maybe in my own head. I had four fouls. And then Luke, probably our hardest worker on the team, comes up to me like, yo, we need you, keep your head. Just things like that. And it's not just one guy. Like everyone will recognize that someone else is down and pick each other up. So that's basically what we did with the whole team. We everyone got together, picked each other up. And also like the whole weekend was just like a test of our it was just testing because we faced a lot of adversity. We had to stay another day in the hotel. We used a whole day in the hotel to be productive. We it was just really amazing how we bounced back after that.
3: Yeah, before we go on to the next game, Chris, i got to ask you, you mentioned something about things that uh, you didn't do well. Are these things that have been happening all year or new things, things you need to address? Uh, can you name specifically what you were talking about or what did yeah, you think I, you did I, well? I,
1: the biggest thing we didn't do is we didn't go out to basketball. You know, you, if you watch Niagara on film, uh, they run good offense, they can score, uh, and what they kind of went to was just they got away from um from running stuff and just went to isolations and, and tried to drive the basketball, um, and we didn't do a good a job as we normally do of one guarding the basketball and B, being active in gaps off the basketball, um, and then the other thing we we weren't uh we weren't good with was transition defense. I thought they got up the floor a couple times and beat us up the floor, uh, and that's not us. Like our conditioning, I think, is very very good, and and we normally do that the other way to teams, you know, so.
0: Uh,
3: So very curious about that point you made. I I know you don't spend. You've always told us it's 80% you, 20% the other team. Do you think not being able to guard the ball, were you guys expecting maybe from scouting report that they were going to run certain plays and you come down and you're looking to guard plays and instead they just kind of took you off the dribble?
1: No, I don't think there was, you know, we talk about four things defensively every day we try to do. One is guard the ball. Two is helping recover being in gaps. Three is post-defense, and four is rebounded basketball. Those are things we'll, we'll try to hit some way every day defensively, whatever it might be. Um, and then obviously the, the two second things there are transition defense and, and ball screen defense. We'll, we'll try to do those every other day uh, in some way, shape, or form. A little bit less now that you're in the, the heart of the season. You can't do it as much, but those are always addressed. Um, so I don't think there was anything. That, credit to them, they played well. You know, mm-hmm. they they were in attack mode from minute one, um, and we didn't keep up offensively, and then we didn't get enough stops defensively. I thought there was two or three times during the course of that game that we were right there to get that thing to single digits, and I would have liked to have seen what have what would have happened when that got to single digits. Um, but we just we were never able to get over that hump.
0: Bryson uh, just. A moment ago hinted at the adversity you faced in western New York starts with uh, the Friday game against Niagara, and then it continues with the weather challenges, which sets you back a day. You played on Monday instead of Sunday. How did that affect your work itinerary? Uh, how did you remain resilient? How did you respond in terms of getting work done and the adjustments you needed to do in response to um, that weather-related change?
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, the things that are out of your control, you can't do anything about. Um, And I always feel like, you know, as a as a coach, if you make a big deal about something, then your players are going to make a big deal of it. And if you just look at it, as, this is what the situation we're in, we're going to be productive and make the most of it, which we did. Um, We could not practice on Sunday because of the travel ban. Uh, And the game was at 12 noon, so I wasn't going to go bring us to another gym at like two, three o'clock in the afternoon when they were available in the county that we were in, where there was no travel, man, I didn't see that as being, you know, anything that would help us. So, we just basically—I mean, I'll give you the quick schedule. The morning we got up, we had breakfast, um, and then the guys uh, who wanted to go over went over to the falls and got to see the falls. Um, then we came back in the afternoon. We had uh, lunch and we did a walk through in the afternoon. Where did um, where did you do the walk through? In the in the hotel. In, the, uh, uh, in a, in a ballroom, room, taped down a court, walked through. We also did uh, a lift uh, stretch. E, yeah, the,
2: before the the meal. Yeah,
1: good. to talk about that, Bryson. The, before that lunch yeah, meal, we got a little workout.
2: We got our bodies moving, uh, just so that way we weren't just sitting in the hotel, and then the next day we got to turn our muscles back on. So we're just getting the blood flowing.
1: Yeah, we we um we did a hallway workout. There's <laughs> a big hallway down there, and the the, the uh, hotel was good enough to kind of put some curtains up and label it a private event so nobody was kind of back there and we used the hallway to get up and down a little bit move our bodies so that was great and then that night uh we had dinner we did the scout and we did a little bit more of a walkthrough and that was it so it was a productive day we got something done and um you know that's the mindset you want to have you, you can't you know say oh we can't practice so it's going to affect us negatively well i don't believe that you know i think. uh we were very productive that day, and that helped us have the right mindset going into the game.
0: And, Bryson, and I imagine this was a, a good bonding experience for the team. Uh, you know, you guys come together. You're all in the same boat, all in the same hotel on top of each other. But there's some uh, positives that come out of that, aren't there?
2: Yeah, exactly. Uh, a lot of good conversations, a lot of good just team bonding time together.
0: That defensive effort against is following up the Niagara game, uh, Chris, uh, the the numbers are stark. Uh, you allowed them to shoot over Niagara, I'm talking about 60%, which is obviously an outlier. But then you hold Canisius to under 40%, and that's a team that could put points on the board. Uh, Joe, and you w- talked a little bit about this, but address where you saw the biggest areas of improvement game to game, specifically at the defensive end against Canisius.
1: I, they were kind of two different games because Kanishas uh, runs a, a ball screen motion system, so it's a little bit less of one-on-one basketball, um, although there is certainly some of that with, with like Dinkins and Gadsden and some guys that can use the dribble and go. Uh, I thought the thing we were really, really good with were our communication and our we, we weren't reactors. We were actors. Um, you know, you're always a step behind when you're a reactor. When you're an actor, you influence immediately the action that's going on. And we were we were proactive on everything they did offensively in that ball screen motion and um, much more often than not did a great job of guarding. And a lot of it was these guys being locked into what they were doing, paying attention in those walkthroughs. The other thing we did that I thought really helped us, the day after the Niagara game, and, and Bryson, you can jump in on this and tell me what you think. I thought we had an outstanding practice, and we practiced. You know, we're coming off a game where guys are playing a lot of minutes, but um, we had a practice because there were things we needed to go through in preparation for this game, and we, we had a really outstanding practice, and I think that helped us too because then the next day you didn't feel as necessary, okay, we have to be in the gym because we accomplished, I thought, a lot on that practice. I don't. What did you think, BG? I
2: think – Uh, We took a loss, had to take that to the chin, but just you got to keep moving. You can't dwell on that loss that happened earlier in the weekend.
0: What about you as a defensive player, Bryson? Uh, We obviously know your scoring capabilities, but uh, how much pride is obvious. I know you take (laughs) a lot of pride in your defense, but the things you specifically work on and want to improve upon, what would they be defensively?
2: I would say personally I would like to grab more rebounds. Before each game, I'm thinking, like, how many rebounds can I get? How many rebounds can I get? Um, I need to have a game with, like, five or six uh, defensive rebounds. Because I think if I start defense first, I play much better. More energy, um, just getting up and down better, things like that.
0: That's got to be music
2: to your ears, Coach, because
0: I know defensive rebounding is one of the things you want to see this team improve upon even more as this season progresses correct
1: yeah um and you know to speak a little further on on Bryson he's really done a great job of uh of uh emphasizing okay I'm, I'm gonna guard the ball I'm gonna be in a stance I'm gonna be in the right spot I'm gonna be active off the ball I'm go- he's doing multiple things defensively for us um, and he's, he's really, his awareness has improved tremendously on the ball, off the ball, actions that have to be guarded. He's really done a terrific job with that. He's become a really good defender. Um, and he what he's saying is true for all our guys. You know, one of the things that's difficult when you're a team that goes is you got to make sure you defensive rebound before you go, you know, and um, at times we're so itching to go, which is great because I want to go but you got to get the ball first, you know, and um, we're working on that. We're working on it, but it's, you know, guys are, guys are attentive to it. But as I said, Bryson, his, he's really, and it's helped his offense. You know, he, he had foul trouble yesterday and I thought, you know, a couple of the calls could have gone either way for him in that game. So unfortunately that happens sometimes, but he turned a positive into a a negative into a positive and what'd you play like 14 minutes and you still had double figures. Mm -hmm. So, you know,
3: all right, I have a feeling you're you're not going to answer this question, but the elephant in the room, you heading back to Niagara as a head coach. How was that for you?
1: I, I didn't pay any attention to that Joe. and I know I know you think I'm <laughs> I'm full of it when I say that, but I honestly didn't. I I I walked away. I walked into that gym like it's the next game, mm. uh, and I may I told myself that that's what I was going to do with every single game this year that I coach and you know, people may believe that or not believe that. I don't, for for me personally, there's not more of an emphasis on certain games or coaching against certain teams. There's just not like I try to make myself treat every game as important, like it's a national championship game and coach it that way and prepare for it that way. And sometimes it's good and sometimes it's not, but I, I didn't Answer your question. I didn't walk in there thinking anything other than, hey, I want my guys to play well. I want them to go have fun doing it, and I want them to go get a W.
0: Well, you uh, certainly played well at Canisius, and the one number that really jumps off the box score, uh, 26 assists, which are the most assists for a Fairfield team against a Division One opponent in in six years. You've talked about how connected this group is. You can talk about it, but that's the the proof, isn't it? When you have that kind of a game where the ball is popping around and moving around as it did against Canisius, that's what a coach wants to see, isn't it?
1: Yeah, I think there's two ways you can see that that a a group is connected. That's one, where the ball moves. Um, And the other way, just listen on the defensive end and listen to the talk. And then that's a way to really see if a, a group is connected and they're placing just as much emphasis on one end of the floor as they do on the other end of the floor. And if you listen to, you could hear us in that gym, uh, cause there was nobody in it, you know, unfortunately for Canisius, and it was uh, game time, 12 noon on a Monday like that. It's difficult to get people there. Yep. Um, but uh, you could hear us in that gym, and you can hear us you know in louder gyms too, but you could really hear us. We were connected, talking things out, talking out x's talking out actions ha- guarding it the right way um so I think those two areas kind of they they kind of uh they kind of show whether a team is connected or not.
0: yeah, it came through in the broadcast uh, not only you could you hear the communication, the bench, and that's been a constant with this team as well. the bench, no matter who was on the bench at that time, they really get into the game and the Bryson, uh, you were one of five players who finished in double figures in that game against Canisius. Uh, Jasper Floyd, not double figures, but his line. Seven points, six rebounds, six assists. Fills up the box score as always. But my question to you is, on a team with such capable scorers, you have a lot of them, how do you guys remain so
2: selfless? Where does that come from? Trusting trusting our brothers. Trusting in each other. Um, knowing that They'll make the same extra pass for you that you will for them. Mm -hmm.
0: And that all, I know coach has talked about he saw this from you, not you specifically, this group uh, going back to August. But you've been around this program for a couple of years now. What is it about this particular group that allows for them to be um, that trustworthy in each other?
2: Uh, Like I mentioned earlier, just holding each other accountable. working out together we work out a lot like everybody even if you're not playing people kids are in the gym that's another thing that will lead to this kind of play and then competing at, with each other in practice because that's where you really learn your teammates um like if I go to practice and I'm not ready to play, I'm going to get exposed Yeah, by someone else on the other team. Yeah, that's
0: been a theme uh, during these podcasts, and we've talked to some of your teammates uh, how competitive these practices are. And as you just said, you better bring a lunch pail to these practices. Yeah. <laughs> uh, have there been a few times where you have been exposed because you just weren't ready mentally for uh, what was going to be an intense practice situation?
2: Um, personally, that hasn't happened to me yet. Good. I think I play harder. There you every go, BG. I <laughs> knew that was the answer. Good job, BG. <laughs> <laughs> Um, we've been
0: talking about some of the really good things uh, you guys have been doing, Chris, uh, as we get now into the meat of this max schedule. In, a, in addition to some of the things you've already addressed, defensive rebounding uh, in, you know, is one example, what are some of the other areas of improvement that you want to see as this thing moves along?
1: Um, well, I'm going to give you two answers to that. The first thing, I was going to go back to the last conversation you had. The other thing I think that um, – Bryson and the rest of our team have done a very good job of that keeps them unselfish and connected is they've done a really good job of reads in the offense and knowing when to go and when to go to the next action in the offense uh, that's part of what keeps guys connected you know um, the, our offense has a constant ball movement and body movement where you can get to the next action and guys have done a good job of I guess the best way to describe it, when to solo and when to be in time with the orchestra, you know. Mm -hmm. And um, I think that's really helped them play together, you know, making that read. Yeah, I got him. No, I don't. What's the next thing? And going to the next thing. Um, As far as improvement, you know, we're always going to be working on a defensive end and working on the uh, defensive rebounding. Uh, Those are two things that, you know, we want to keep – keep getting better at keep working on it understand how important it is for us because you get stops and rebounds that gets you out in transition and we're good in transition
0: one guy who uh, certainly can help you in that regard is the freshman Peyton Smith who continues to get better on a game-to-game basis he was solid yesterday uh, against Canisius you called his number early in that game and he was really in the in the flow of that game I'd like you to talk about his work ethic because things like this just don't happen by accident. Freshmen don't come in. freshman in this case, who very easily could be playing prep school basketball. That's what he was supposed to be doing at this point. But here he is playing Division One basketball. They start out every game for you. So uh, there's a work ethic attached to that. Why don't you give us a peek behind the scenes of what he does work-wise in your practices?
1: Uh, the first thing he's done, Bob, is he's got himself in tremendous shape. Um, if, you, if you watch him run the floor now and how he can be, uh have an intensity level to him for extended minutes. He's improved. That's, that's allowed him uh to kind of showcase a little bit what he can do offensively and defensively because of his conditioning. And I think what he's starting to do too, to his credit is, you know, you, you look at the the other big guys on some of the teams in some of our games, he kind of wears them down a little bit, you know, by running the floor and going to the glass and, you know, playing post-defense and trying to get around guys, not just sitting behind. Um, and and he does that in practice. And the other thing that he does, he listens to the older guys. You know, Bryson will talk to him. Caleb will talk to him. Uh, Jalen, Jasper, they talk to him. Louie talks to him. And he listens. And he he pays attention to what they're telling him. And he tries to do it. And I think that's really improved him a lot too because he, he accepts that part of it. And, uh, you know, th- that that's going to always improve a guy's game when they accept that part of it.
0: Bryson, uh, what are some of the specific conversations you've had with the freshman Peyton Smith?
2: There's nothing I could uh, specifically think of right now, but, you know, I always tell him, like, he's a great screener. And one of the things that I don't know if you could tell from watching, but he has a great feel for the game. He's in the right spots. Showing his hands, things like that. And then um, he's a really good passer, too. His court vision is really good. So he's like a, a heads-up big man. So that's always great to have on your team.
1: Here's the thing, um, Bob, to jump in. Like, here's the thing that he he places importance on and he understands Point. How many times, Bryson, have we shown on film where he rim runs – and he, he pulls in two defenders on that rim run, and that gets you an open three or another shooter an open three. I that's mean, we, his basket. Yeah, that's and basket. the first thing we say is, Peyton, that's your basket. You know, that's your three. And he takes personal pride in that kind of stuff. So, you know, scoring he does is fantastic, and he's just going to get better there. But he takes personal pride in those other things too.
0: Runs the floor hard, and uh, you have another player. You mentioned him a few times already. So the Bryson, uh, Louie, Louis Bleachmore. Who, who had been playing, you know, fine, but he really came to life in Western New York. He played well in the loss against Niagara, and he was exceptionally good yesterday against Canisius. If there is something you could pinpoint in terms of the difference in his game this particular weekend up in Western New York, what would it be?
1: Um, I, the, I thought him and Peyton really rebounded the ball early in the game for us. They defensive rebounded hard in the beginning of that game, Um and in traffic you know and I thought that helped us tremendously as far as Louie himself goes you know he's in he's in the same boat as a, a bunch of our guys and he's getting his real first taste of playing major division 1 minutes in a season and now he's getting his first taste of playing major Div- division 1 minutes in conference schedule where you have a good team that can compete and, and you're placing expectations on yourself to be good you know so those are all part of your growth process uh, to learn how to be productive in that type of setting or that atmosphere and he's he's done a good job of working on that and you know and he found himself not that he hadn't found himself previously he's helped us in a ton of games yep. with a lot of things mm-hmm. um but he, he really kind of stepped that up this weekend and you know he's got the ability to do that.
0: Bryson, you are one of the four official captains on this team. Uh, Louie and uh, Jasper Floyd are, as Coach Casey has termed it, unofficial captains. What is the dynamic there? You guys and you, you and Title are one of the co-captains, yet Louie is also one of those natural leaders. So how do leaders in this case, you and Louis specifically, interact and, and collectively get in front of this team and, and show them how it's done?
2: yeah well, uh, first, those two players I put in a lot of time um Louis's a senior, so he's been he's been around yep. he he knows how stuff how things work um the most important thing is being vocal and just having a presence every day. And I feel like those two guys do a great job of that like there's never a day where Louis's not being athletic or Jasper's being quiet in the gym like they're always making their presence felt um so I think that's why they're able to, you know, be leaders.
0: And there's a certain toughness they bring to the floor too, isn't there? And that's important.
2: Yeah, when Louis is playing super athletic and he's putting pressure on the rim, it makes it easy for the perimeter guys because everyone, you got to help out because mm-hmm. he's going to dominate.
3: Chris, we we have talked so much. This team has developed into having three or four of the best guards in the conference, and that's why all Stag fans are, are excited about the immediate future. How hard is it? Because a, a guy like Louis, and I don't know him from Adam, so. Um, but a guy comes, transfers in. He wants to be the scorer. He wants to be the main guy. How important is it for you, or f- to tell him, or to get him to accept his role? Now we all know he can be the leading scorer, but he's not. What we appreciate about his game is that he does the other things. Is that is that is that hard for you to get guys like him and James Johns Jr. and some of the other guys who accept their roles?
1: No, I I don't think it is hard because they're character kids, you know, and one of the things we try to do is um, I I try to be cognizant of this during games. when We have walk-up situations on the offensive end, and I feel like a guy like Louie maybe hasn't gotten a touch or, you know, we need to get Bryson going or we need to get somebody a shot. Um, we try to make sure we call something to get that person the ball, you know, and, and, and get them, try to get them going. Um, so I think that makes guys feel that they're, whether they're, you know, another guy may have 15 in the game, but I want to get this guy with four in the game going. They feel, you know, a, a, which is the truth, a level of importance too, you know. Um the other thing with a guy like Louie and, and and the rest of our team, they also realize that there's other things besides points on the board that help you win because we try to emphasize them, you know, getting loose balls, getting 50-50s, rebounding the ball, moving the basketball, setting good screens. Um, you know, Bryson can jump in on this, but, I mean, we often, when we watch film or during practice, we'll, we'll uh, applaud the guy that set the screen or made the pass before we're going to applaud the guy that made the shot. Um, and on the defensive end, you know, you may have a great stop one on one, but we'll applaud the guy who who showed great gap help and activity. You know, first before we talk about the one on one defense. So, you know, I think I think guys have a good understanding of you know that you don't just because you didn't put points on the board on a certain night, you're still helping us win.
3: Yeah. So, I, I guess that I was getting at you. You make it, and this is a sign of a successful coach. You make an effort is show somebody maybe he's not getting all the fanfare of the headlines that he does, like the plus-minus system, vi- film. I just remember my kids, they would come home and say, Dad, I didn't make All-State. I didn't make, and I would always tell them, well, I'm looking at things you do on both ends, and you're probably the best player in the court. So it's extra effort by your coaches to do that, which is normal.
1: Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah,
3: yeah I mean, absolutely. people I, – I, I guess what I'm getting at, having coached many years, people don't understand – Coaches, there's a certain dynamic. Coaches don't just show up every day and, you know, clean their sneakers and put their sweatsuit on and go to practice. You you have to work even the guy, The guys that aren't getting the headlines, you want to make sure that they feel they're helping you win games.
1: No question. And no Bleachmore,
3: again, my whole thing with Bleachmore is, like, I, I, when I watch your team play, Bob and I, and I'm not – put this on me – I'm like, okay, who are our best players in the first few games? Oh, this guy can score. That guy can score. This guy, eh, you know, I don't know if Bleachmore can score 20 games. But then you start to look at how he helps your team, Mm -hmm. and you say to yourself, I I guess I just want other people to know that he's just as important as the guys that are putting up 40 or hitting 10 threes. Yeah,
1: and and that's why we pay attention to the screen, to the rim run, to the gap help. That's why we pay attention to that stuff because – you know, if, if you don't, if Peyton doesn't rim run, Bryson can't get an open three. If, if, uh, Jalen uh, doesn't do a great job of jumping to the dribble in a gap when a guy turns his head and tries to spin back, then Caleb doesn't do a good job of guarding the basketball. Like all those things are related, and these guys have done a great job of picking up on that and understanding it. Um, and they're also more about, uh, um, uh, Winning for each other than they are. What did I get out of it? You know, because the reality is, if you win games, everybody gets attention. Everybody does.
0: Bryson, uh, a year ago, to this day, and uh, and beyond, uh, you were enduring some frustration, recovering from an injury. And I'd like you to take us back to when you got hurt. You played four games last season, then had to shut it down for, as it turned out, for the remainder of the year. For those listeners who are not familiar with exactly what happened to you injury-wise and the rehab process that you had to go through, why don't you bring us back to that?
2: Well, it's pretty interesting. I'm looking at the date. Uh, tomorrow will be a year ago from my surgery, mm. which is pretty well, pretty good. cool. But uh, I was wondering where I would be a year from then. But um, it's been pr- a pretty amazing year. Um, so it was no, it was uh, in November last season. And my knee had just been – I banged it a couple times in one week and it just it was feeling funky. I remember Coach Case, like, we were in a shoot-around and usually, like, if you have a layup, you dunk it. And I laid it up. And Coach Case was like, B.G., dunk the ball. Uh-huh. And I'm in my head like, man, like, I wish I could right now. But I was in so much pain. Uh, it turned out to be a torn meniscus. Um, yeah, so that sidelined me for the year. Um, but I was still supporting the team. Like, I still – you know, I love the guys, love the coaches, so I was just trying to keep uh, my spirit up for them, cheer them on. Um and then when it was time to time to work, uh I got to it.
0: How much uh, doubt did you have as far as maybe being able to come back to 100% when you were first diagnosed with the torn meniscus?
2: Honestly, that uh that injury was pretty light compared to my I've I've torn my ACL in high school, so mm. This was like three, four months, and I was already walking running. So once I could walk, I was already shooting. Once I could run, I was working out.
0: And, uh, Chris, you were a big part of Bryson's uh, rehab. I know you worked with him extensively one-on-one. Why don't you address the uh, the rehab process and the work he put into that?
1: Well, he, he put in a ton of work to it. Um, you know, he, he wanted he, – he's hungry. He was hungry to get back, you know, and – it's, it's unfortunate like him and Jalen, they, they just get to a point where they're going to, you know, maybe explode and, it you know, they get a setback and it tests you as a person. So outside the work he did, you know, his person never changed. You know, he still had the same focus. He still had the same goals. He's still trying to do the same thing. And, um, you know, one of the things he doesn't realize is that he's been an example now to Mike Rogan who's coming off his injury who was just in here today and he's talking about you Bryson and Jalen and he sees what they did to get back and that's going to be an example to him and make him feel like yeah I can do that too you know so there's tremendous value to that you know we all have setbacks you know physically uh mentally things that are out of our control and it's all about how you approach it not about what happened to you and and Bryson did a really, really good job of approaching it the right way. I so I, I think I actually came
2: back like better than I left off. Like walking onto the court, I feel like my me today would beat myself one on one ten times out of ten.
0: Nice. <laughs> well, let's talk about your uh, journey, which started at uh, Bishop Stang High School in uh, Massachusetts. Then, and you were part of a state championship team there, um, St. Andrews in Rhode Island. Rhode Island Gatorade Player of the Year. So you had a pretty uh, stellar resume before deciding to begin your college career at Syracuse. What led you to Syracuse to start things off?
2: Um, I, I like the style of play. I like to play fast. And I think that um, there had been success with um, players like similar to my game, like six-four guard. Mm-hmm. So that, that's what drew me there.
0: Then uh, on to Providence to play for Ed Cooley for a couple of years. Uh, What led to that decision?
2: Uh, It was around COVID, so I I don't know if I really enjoyed it up in upstate New York too much. So I wanted to get closer to home, Um, but I still wanted to play high major. Um, So I could have went there or I also had some other options too, but I wanted to go closer to home.
0: Do you happen to remember who um, you made your Providence debut for uh, against? What team you yeah, played? Yeah, Fairfield. <laughs> how familiar were you with uh, Fairfield? Uh, in addition to having matched up against them, um, you know, I'm having fun with the fact that uh, coincidentally, your first Providence game was against the Stags, and now you play for the Stags. And how familiar were you with the Fairfield program before you eventually committed here?
2: Well, I knew Jay Leach before I came here. We played against each other in high school. Uh, we have mutual friends, so uh I knew him. I also knew Coach Young. Uh he recruited me when I was in high school, so
0: who else uh you started at Syracuse? You said Jay Young was involved, you end up also playing to Providence. What other schools did you consider along the way, especially early in the process?
2: Like when I was yeah in when high you, school? Yep. Because mm-hmm. um, you were a high level recruit. Yeah, I was looking at like Yukon, mm-hmm. Florida, Cal Berkeley. Places all over, but I really want to play in the ACC. Gotcha. Was,
0: um You've played for a Hall of Fame coach in Jim Beheim and a Naismith uh, National Coach of the Year and Ed Cooley. What were the uh, specific things that you've taken from, say, a Jim Beheim and the an Ed Cooley? The differences in their coaching styles, the things that may have helped you along the way.
2: Um, Coach Beheim, here's was a He was crazy during games. Like, he was very calm in practice, and then game time came, and he he was pretty. Cooley was kind of the opposite practice. He's, like, cracking jokes. Like, game time, he's just, like, locked in, laser focused. Um, But really, before uh, Coach Casey was head coach, I used to work with him every day, film, um, workout. He, He was my workout coach, so I honestly feel like I've gotten better here just because of, the attention I received and the patience that Coach Casey had with me in my game. So.
0: And how would you uh, – this is a hard one because he's sitting right next to you, but how would you characterize Coach Casey in terms of personality? You just told us about Jim Beheim yeah. and how he was in practice versus game, yeah. et cetera, and so on. Uh, how about Coach Casey?
2: Coach Casey is the same guy. No matter – even sitting right here, he's the same guy he yeah. would be in the game. Yeah. He loves energy. It's a what lot of fun.
0: All right. You knew we had to get to this. The 40-point the game against Siena. You didn't think we weren't going to bring
1: that up. I was waiting for that, Bob. I was anxious
2: yeah.
0: to hear that. Maybe. That would have been called burying the lead had we uh, not gotten to it. Uh, it was the fourth 40-point game in the history of Fairfield basketball. It was the first in seven years. By the way, you did, you scored your 40 exactly seven years after the last time it had been done. It was January 5th, 2017. Uh, Curtis. When, yeah, when Curtis did it, So uh, you guys. I work.
2: It? I worked out with him when I go back home. He lives like 15 minutes from my hometown. That's right, a Massachusetts yeah. guy. Yeah. Did you hear from him after? Yeah, he, he texted me. He was like, "Yo, people are gonna think this is like a conspiracy because it was on the same day." Right. So he. Yeah. <laughs> uh,
0: what uh? I know Joe asked you this after one of our television broadcasts. What it felt like that day when you played? It was a day game against Siena. Um, Joe used the baseball analogy. Pitchers sometimes warm up and feel that they have good stuff in the bullpen. Did you feel like in a basketball sense you had good stuff going into that game?
2: Yeah, we were in warm-ups, and it was just the the arena was a nice shooting gym, I would say. Like, the rims were soft, so you see it go in. I was like, wow, my shot's cast today. I I told Maddie Kay that. um, But really it was just what felt better was, like, my team just celebrating the success. 'cause I honestly wasn't even like trying to force up shots and people were just telling me to shoot it, shoot it, shoot it. So I think that just describes our team right there. Like
0: It does. Yeah. It really does. Because again I'm I'm visualizing watching that game at home and thinking, wow, this is not, you know, they're not you're not forcing this. This was all part of the flow of the game. And you happen to be in that zone. Have how many other times in your career, high school or whenever have you been in that kind of a, a zone?
2: Well, a similar game when I was at Providence. Uh, that was my career high before that I was 12. I had four threes. Mm-hmm. But before the game, same thing. I was like, wow, my shot feels good today. And um, similar.
3: Well, FYI, it's not a question, but it's a little story. He mentioned he was home watching the game. Well, him and I talk a lot during the game on the phone, and I'm ahead of him. My
0: broadcast is always <laughs> bad, And I'd be like, holy sh – he hit another one. <laughs> and I would say, shut up. I want to watch the game. <laughs> I'm on delay here.
3: Uh, so, we'd be talking. There was one that one you probably remember late in the game, you came down in transition and you just went – so, we'd be talking. I'm like, I hope I hit another one. This one about 30 feet.
2: There, there was is. a timeout. And then my team was just like, Coach Casey, they, I don't know why he didn't come to the bench, the sideline. I was – Begging for him to come see me because my teammates were just like bombarding me. I'd put my head down and I just like closed my I eyes. I was that. like, it didn't feel real. Yeah, I remember like,
0: that, that reaction of yours on the bench. It was it was one of the yeah. good images so far of the season. And final thing on the forty-point game, um, did uh, your phone battery overheat after <laughs> that game? How much did your phone blow up?
2: Yeah, um, people telling me congratulations. I I appreciate all the all the love they were showing.
0: Um. You're from New Bedford, Massachusetts, and I don't know how many of our listeners realize this, but um, your mom was a Hall of Fame high school basketball player for New Bedford High School. So I think it's needless to say she was quite an influence on on your basketball career. Why don't you shed a little bit more light on that?
2: My mom is the person who put the basketball in my hands since I was three. She would take me. I wasn't even on the team yet. She would bring me to uh, this Boys and Girls Club team practice, and I would just go practice with the older kids. These kids are like six or seven. I'm in there like three, four years old. Um, she loves it so much. So I have three younger siblings. They all play. Mm-hmm. Uh, she supports them all, supports us all. And my sister is going to be pretty good, too. She's she's coming up. She has a um, pretty good recruitment right now. And my mom's like, can you help me out? Like, I, need help. <laughs> I don't know how to she? answer some of these questions. What year is she? Uh, she's a junior. She's about six foot. She's gonna be good. She could play she can guard one through five. Yeah. Um, X five. Yeah, she's not she she can shoot, but that's not she's good at playmaking. Her favorite player is LeBron, so she likes to pass, she likes to playmake.
0: Um I was also reading about your uncle JoJo, Jojo Goodheim, who is um a legend in New Bedford, Massachusetts, not only in basketball where he won some state championships. But he was a football standout. Yeah, High-level uh, athlete. Tell us about Uncle JoJo. Uh,
2: it's great. Like, if we have, like, family cookouts, and the whole family is athletic. So, we'll either play, like, football, or usually where we have the cookouts, there's basketball courts. Our whole family will be up there, like, in the bleachers and stuff like that. Like, <laughs> it just it's just us. But, yeah, everyone. And there's also a lot of baseball players. Because um, we were talking about baseball earlier. Um yeah, so just multi-sport athletes, and they they all, like my uncles, and JoJo's my cousin, but he's old enough to be my uncle, because he grew up with my mom, and, and they all went to school around the same time, so they were winning these state championships together. Mm. And I, I believe it started with my great-grandmother, who, uh, she played softball. Her name was Grace Goodine. Wow. Um, she passed away when I was, like, right around the time I was about to commit, so she never got to see me play, but... She was a high-level athlete, too.
0: And your dad, Jonathan, was a, a four-year player at UMass. It seems like it was destined that you would be <laughs> not only a basketball player, but a pretty darn good one. Uh, the genes are there. If it wasn't basketball, what would a, your sport have been? Baseball, for sure. Joe likes that
3: answer. Yeah, what position were you?
2: What I was you a pitcher. pitcher. If I stuck with it, I think I could have played Division One. I. I, I. Definitely. I know that I could have. Um, and I was a good center fielder, too. I could just track the ball. I could catch well, jump. Um, as I got older and the pitcher started throwing a little more heat, I couldn't see the ball, so hitting <laughs> was a little bit more difficult. Usually it's the curveball <laughs> that gets you, the fastball. I had a pretty good curveball. I'm not going to lie. Okay. So,
3: who, who was your favorite baseball player growing up?
2: David Ortiz.
3: Oh. Uh-huh. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> That's uh-huh. like.
2: But I, I did like Derek Jeter and A-Rod, too, which is, sounds crazy, but I used to like the Yankees just because – the character of the players that they had. Like Derek Jeter was a great guy.
0: Uh, there's a lot we could still get to, but we're running short on time. You've got to get to a class pretty soon, so we, we have to pick up the pace here. But I do want to ask you this about your role on this team. We're talking to somebody in Bryson Goodine who scored 40 points this year, one of only six players now this season in all of college basketball that has scored as many as 40 in the game. And you come off the bench. Um People are impressed with the fact that you've accepted that role. How hard was it or not so hard? Give us an idea of the difficulty it was to accept your role right now as the sixth man on this team.
2: Um, It's a lot of fun. I, I learned to embrace it. I like to come off the bench and I think of just being a menace off the bench, just come in and just cause problems for the other team. And I know that the, the other guys in there, because I have to see the, other, the, the starting lineup every day. So I know they're already in their face. So <laughs> when I come in, it's just more on top of it.
0: <laughs> Part of that competitiveness <laughs> that <thing> we've already <laughs> talked about. Um, we're going to move it along here now and uh, get to uh, the Open Court Podcast Alexis Yetna update. And I ask specifically because I know there's a little bit of a setback. He didn't make the trip to Western New York ill. He was under the weather. Uh, has that set him back as far as his rehab is concerned? Where's he at right now?
1: Nah, he he got some very good work in this weekend with our strength coach um, one of our strength coaches, Mike Harris uh, and he will get, uh, we've been cleared to do some individual work with him so we'll start that today. Um, He'll be down in the arena tonight, put some individual work in. That's a big step. It's a big step yeah, so we'll get a couple of those in this week uh, and then kind of see where he's at after we get those individuals in.
0: How much individual work is he going to do before you take the next step after that?
1: Well, the hope is, and again, you got to kind of evaluate it at the end of the week. But the hope is uh, to get you know three to four good ones in, and see where he's at, and then maybe next week you start mixing them into some five-on-zero drills in practice, mm-hmm. uh, and see how that goes. But we'll have to. We'll have to evaluate that when we get to the end of the week and see where he's at. Okay, so we should have a pretty good
0: update by the time we do our next podcast uh, in a couple of weeks. And uh, we do have uh, some news that it was actually uh, released today. Most of our listeners know about it by now, but uh, a new addition to your coaching staff. He um, didn't have to look far as Mike Jarvis II, who was with Fairfield Athletics as an Associate Director of Athletic Development, is now going to be one of your assistant coaches so why don't you tell us what led to that decision because at one point you were saying you know no reason to really upset the mix right now because it's going well but you've decided to make uh this change in this edition and uh why uh the decision to go with another assistant coach at this point in the season and and how did mike come on to uh the scene
1: well um Couple of us have known Mike for a lot of years, mm-hmm. uh, and he's worked in some high-level programs. Worked with his dad, obviously. He's a basketball guy. He's been in advancement now for uh, here on campus for quite some time, uh, and he's done a terrific job there. Um, he he comes around practices. Our guys know him; they like him. Um, I like him. Our staff likes him. He's he's a really good person, and he knows basketball, and he knows our team. So we, we kind of talked about it and thought, you know what, he's here on campus. It's not like you got to move somebody, bring somebody up. Um, he could help us, you know, in practice. He's a positive guy. He's got great energy. Uh, could help us at night, getting extra shots up with guys. Um, you know, be be with us on games on the bench. So this thought, things that he could add to the program without a, a huge effort on our end to make significant changes. You know. Um, so we kind of conversed as a staff. We conversed, you know, as a group with the players and talked about that a little bit. See where they were at with that, and everybody agreed. Yeah, you know, Michael add to the team. Let let's let's bring him on. Um, so he'll uh, he'll join us uh, this week uh, and and help us out. We're excited about it. I think he's going to add to our team.
3: So did uh, did you guys initiate that, or is that something?
1: Um, you know, it just kind of came up in conversation because he was, he's around a lot, Mm -hmm. you know, um, he's obviously always at the games and, um, he talks basketball and it just, it just kind of came up in conversation. And I thought, you know, he can add to what we're doing, um, without going out on a limb on our part or making a, a, you know, a big effort on our part to get a guy up here and move a guy or, you know, and I thought it matched. I thought it matched really well. So, um, you know, we like I said, we talked about it, and and we're gonna roll with it, and we're, we're excited to have him. He's gonna add to what we do.
0: All right, as we wrap things up, then we can look forward to seeing uh, Mike Jarvis II, his nickname is Deuce, on the bench for Fairfield Friday night when the Stags play St. Peter's. And I'll start with you, Bryson, uh, on this. I well realize that the next game in the schedule is always the most important game, but this one looms large because St. Peter's is five and zero right now. They lead the MAC. And they certainly uh, are contrasting styles with Fairfield, two very different stylistic teams. As you get ready this week to uh, prepare and play St. Peter's on Friday night, what are the things that are most important to you in terms of getting mentally ready for that particular matchup?
2: Um, first, we're going to definitely have to play physical, um, play tough. We know that they're a good defensive team. and. Um, just we're gonna clean up a lot of the things that we talked about earlier in practice, and if we play together, we we will be ready for the game.
0: And coach, uh, from a coaching standpoint, getting ready for a, a very good St. Peter's team. Obviously, five and zero oh in the conference says all you need to know. And we know, as Bryson said, under Bashir Mason, under anybody really, that's always been a team that exudes toughness. So, from a coaching standpoint, getting ready for the Peacocks.
1: Yeah, I think a couple things. First of all, Bosch does a great job with his team. They they play hard and they're going to compete. Uh, there's no question about that. I think uh, we have uh, experienced that a little bit already when we played Wagner. There's going to be a similar style to that, so that helps us right there. I think some of the game is going to be a street fight, and we can do that. And I think some of the game is going to be a basketball game, and we can do that too. So, yeah. Um, we're looking forward to playing i think it's going to be a great basketball game against two very good teams and two very competitive teams um and i, I you know we got to fill a place up here and make it a home court advantage that's going to be really important
0: yeah it'll be it's good that the students are back and hopefully uh, the weather is okay and uh yeah that'll be great to have home court advantage on on friday night get that place energized for a big early season max showdown against St. Peter's, and then on to Manhattan. But uh, first things first, that's St. Peter's. And, Joe, as we wrap things up, it's the open court. Any final words or questions from Joe DeSantis? Yeah,
3: absolutely. You know, a lot of people wanted to see how you would guys would react as a team. You had won eight in a row after a loss, and you certainly had a tr- – Canisius was a great win. You won by 25. You had five guys in double figures. But – a lot of people, Bryson thought we should have someone else on this podcast because he was the star of the game. Talk to me about Ryan McPartland. <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, he's one of those guys in practice that if you're not ready, he'll expose you. He, <laughs> hard drive right, and he's going to spin back. <laughs> and that's exactly how exactly. he scored yeah. in the game. So he'll <laughs> be at the
3: head of the scouting report for St. Peter's now. <laughs> Force him left.
2: I'll tell
1: you what's fun about him and uh, a few of the other walk-ons. They're the shell team, and uh, – you know, they'll be in early tomorrow morning. We'll put them through some breakdown stuff, and they treat those breakdowns like it's the Super Bowl. Mm. And it's awesome. It's awesome. BG, you can jump in on that, but it helps us tremendously, I think.
2: Yeah, if you don't get a stop, you got to stay on the court. <laughs> <laughs> and then if they keep scoring on you, everyone on the baseline is going to be going crazy. Uh, get a oh,
3: stop. Get a stop. Uh, those, <laughs> those are their wins and losses.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. And they do a great job with it every day. Makes us better. Bryson, we better wrap
0: this up. You have a class to uh, get to. What uh what class is that, that we uh we may make you late for
2: here? Taking Italian. Oh, oh okay. really. I, I took French last semester and this semester I'm taking Italian. Joe can
0: I it's been
3: forty some years, but I can I can <laughs> tell you the dirty words and the curse words. <laughs> <laughs> I, We'll talk one day.
0: (laughs) (laughs) In Italian. (laughs) Bryson, thanks for being with us and continued success. Uh, You've had a great bounce-back year from that injury. Couldn't be happier for you. And uh, we hope to uh, talk to you again down the line, Uh, especially, say, uh, maybe – late March, early April, that would be good, wouldn't it?
2: Appreciate you guys.
0: Coach, good luck uh, this weekend as you look to keep it going here. Thanks for your time.
1: Thank you, guys. Appreciate it.
0: That'll do it for this edition of Open Court with Fairfield head coach Chris Casey. And next up for the Stags, well, we talked about it. They try to take down the top team in the MAC at the moment. That would be Fairfield versus St. Peter's, 7 o'clock tip from Mahoney, and uh, after the Stags play, the Peacocks, they'll hit the road to play the Manhattan Jaspers Sunday afternoon at Dratty Gymnasium. Our next podcast will drop a few days after Fairfield plays Quinnipiac on January 28th, so that'll be uh, late January, early February the next time they'll get an open court. So for Chris Casey and our special guest Bryson Goodine and for the Fairfield Hall of Famer Joe DeSantis and our podcast engineer Wyatt Dossi, I'm Bob Huesler. Thanks for listening to Open Court.